our passage of scripture as we continue today through the gospel of John. I'll read John chapter 13, verse 2, and then I'll skip ahead to John 13, 18 through 30. So first verse 2 and then 13, 18 through 30. John 13, 2. And the supper being ended, the devil having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the spirit may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was, leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him and asked who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' bread, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Last week, we considered Jesus' washing of the disciples' feet, and I told you that this irked and it angered Judas, and at the time, you know, it says in verse 2 uh, that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. Judas wanted a savior who would save them from Rome. Judas wanted a military leader, not a humble servant. And I believe it bothered him when he saw Jesus get down in that way to wash people's feet. This week we will consider... Jesus' last effort uh, uh, at winning uh, Judas' soul. He was loving towards Judas despite the fact that he knew Judas was lost. He knew Judas would betray him. A piece of bread dipped in a dip as Jesus did was a sign of friendship it was a, or an attempting to heal a friendship. This is what it was in that culture when you did this uh, at the table. But with the bread, Satan not only influences Judas, as he did in 13.2, but he inhabits Judas. It says, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. 
And so before we see Satan's influence on Judas, now he takes Judas over. And Jesus tells him, what you do, do quickly. And, and Judas does just that. Within about nine or ten hours of this time, Jesus will be on the cross. And everything that we read in the book of John from this time until he's on the cross is all within that nine or ten, depending on what time this is, hours. And so Jesus is, you could say, almost on the cross already. First here, the devil had already put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. As I read earlier, John 13, 2, the devil had, having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus's washing of the disciples' feet seems to make Judas even more angry. Judas also seems to have a place of honor next to Jesus. Some of the commentators I read say this, where he is is close enough to just hand him that piece of bread without most of the disciples even knowing it. Only John, who's leaning on Jesus' breast, can and see and know this because he whispers and asks uh, Jesus who it is. And Jesus indicates the one to whom I give the sop. And Judas is there. He takes the piece of bread. And Jesus says to him, what you do, do quickly. It is in the heart of Judas in his heart, Judas would betray Jesus. Satan's desire and goal was always to destroy and to kill. And he wants to destroy and kill Jesus more than any other man because here is the son of man, the son of God. And it says in John 10, 10, Jesus is speaking and says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. You know, the title of my sermon is Jesus versus Judas, the servant uh, versus Satan. And we see this in this, this passage. Ju Jesus is being as loving as possible towards Judas. And he's even served him. Uh, you could say not just here, but even in this whole relationship. And yet Satan is in Judas. Um, Judas is farther and farther from Jesus, from, from loving him and following, even now to the point that he's ready to betray him. Satan would kill and destroy. He really wanted to kill Jesus as soon as Jesus was born. Uh, we read this in the book of Revelation when it says, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great and fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars from heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. This is the devil and Satan, because in verse 9 of Revelation 12, it tells us uh, that serpent of old, the devil and Satan, oh, that great dragon who was cast out, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He had become a great dragon, meaning he ruled over many nations. He ruled over Rome. Uh, he ruled even in Israel, where God's people were, uh, in, in the person of Herod who tried to kill all the baby boys that were two years old and under in order that he might get Jesus. 
He was trying to do that. Satan was working behind the scenes. And that's what we see. And he's still doing that now in the person of Judas. Judas had a will, a desire to betray Jesus. It was not a free will in that sense that it was free from sin or that it was free from Satan. Uh, who indwells him, but it was Judas's will still. It was troubling to Jesus that one of his apostles would betray him. Here he has this, even though he knew this was God's plan, still it's troubling him that this is the case. It says, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. I don't believe this was any kind of act on Jesus' part. He knew Judas was going to betray him, and yet it still troubled him that he was being betrayed. Judas would be accountable or held accountable for his wicked betrayal. Matthew 26, 23-24 says, He answered and said, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, meaning he will be crucified. But woe to that man to whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would be good for that man if he had never been born. Well, that was Judas. And Judas is in hell uh, now. He's lost. Second, Jesus, God, Jesus and God had knowledge of, had a purpose for, and had control over this betrayal. Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be filled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now there's a sense Jesus chose all 12 disciples, but it seems in this verse he's talking about his truly chosen disciples who would truly be his and opposite of them, Judas, whom he did not choose except for this point, this role uh, in his death. Not only in this chapter, but in the next several chapters, Jesus will be very communicative or communicative to his disciples about his coming death on the cross. Verse 18, he knew who his truly chosen were. Not one, not all, or even two would betray him. He knew it was only one, and he knew it was Judas. This scripture Jesus refers to being fulfilled is Psalm 41.9. In this verse, David writes, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Psalm 41 was and is a psalm of David. David's friend who betrayed him was Ahithophel. Uh, he was one of David's counselors, one of his most trusted counselors. And yet when, uh, when his son betrayed David, uh, Ahithophel went with his son Absalom rather than with David. And David takes note of this in this psalm. But this psalm is also pointing forward to what Judas would do in relation to Christ. This relationship that 
that David as king had to his counselor where he treated him with, as a friend was similar to Judas and Jesus. Jesus is king of kings and lord of lords. He's the Christ. And he had certain men, 12 of them that he chose. And Judas was one of them. Judas had that privilege just like Ahithophel did. Uh, but their lives went in similar ways. God knew all the time this prophecy would apply to Judas and to Jesus. It wasn't just meant from the start for Ahithophel. It was meant for Judas because God could see this. God knew this at a time. Judas betrayed Jesus much like Ahithophel betrayed David. David had blessed and was kind to Ahithophel. And so Jesus was kind to Judas Jesus extended kindness to Judas and gave him a position of honor, allowed him, Judas, to walk in his light. Judas was privileged much like all the Jewish people were in that day. First Corinthians, describing the Jewish people, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They did not have faith. They did not follow perfectly. They weren't ready to go into the promised land. They had experienced miracles. They saw the Red Sea divide. They saw the cloud coming down, the fire by night and the cloud by day. And this was a witness to them uh, that Christ was with them. And Christ was with the apostles and with Judas as well. And this was a privilege for both groups. But in both cases, there were those who did not believe. Judas was privileged beyond most. Because he had direct contact to and access to Jesus Christ. Judas heard Jesus' teachings from Jesus' own voice. And he saw his miracles. He, Judas, was even privileged, I believe, with the taste of God's Spirit. Uh, God's Spirit enabled all of the apostles to do miracles. And I believe in Hebrews 6 when it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted of the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. We see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit comes upon Saul and Saul prophesies for a while. But then later the Holy Spirit is taken from Saul and an evil spirit comes in him. We figure that the Holy Spirit in some sense was working in Judas's life or he would have stood out among the apostles because they were all sent out to do miracles and healings. And so he also had a taste of the Spirit. But in this chapter, we read not only that an evil spirit enters him, but Satan enters Judas then we should be very sad for this man. Judas's betrayal was a necessary evil because Jesus would die for our sins. 
But he and the others who were with him are still guilty because they willfully had their roles in this murderous death. It's interesting, Acts 4, 27 and 28 says, for, for, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. This is interesting because God had determined all this. It was all planned from before the foundation of the world because it even says that in the book of Revelation that Jesus is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world. And yet Herod and Pontius Pilate and uh, the Gentiles and the people of Israel, the, the wicked ones, including Judas, who go against Jesus, by their own willfulness they go. By their own sins they go against him. And so God is in control of it. He's in charge of it. He knew it was going to happen. But the people who do it are still guilty. I think this is similar to what we see in the Old Testament with Joseph. Joseph's brothers threw him down in a pit and eventually they sold him into slavery. And some of them, at least some of them, wanted him dead. And we read after this happens and after Judas is second in command in Egypt under the Pharaoh and has power over his brothers, he could easily get to revenge over them. And they come to him and they say, please forgive us uh, for this. And he says in verse 20 of chapter 50 of Genesis, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Those people who put Jesus on the cross, uh, including Judas who betrays him here in, in chapter 13, or is he starting to betray him, they are all guilty. They did that of their own will. Uh, was their will free? No, God sovereignly was in control of it. Uh, they were... Satan is controlling uh, Judas at this point. And yet it was still his will. He still wanted to do this. This was still his desire. And yet at the same time, God controlled these things. Why? To bring about salvation, just like he did uh, with Joseph. Our sins caused Jesus' pains, but our pains, uh, his pains saved us from guilt. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our inequities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. Our inequity, our own sins put Jesus on the cross. Not only what Judas did, and what Herod did, but our sins put him on the cross. And yet, he is still our salvation. Point number three, big point number three. Judas's betrayal shows us how far evil men can go in seeming faith. Jesus said much earlier, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, the last part of the Sermon of the Mount, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, 
shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice wickedness. Many in the last day, Jesus says, will be practically knocking on the doors of heaven, saying, Lord, Lord, meaning having a expression of faith, you could say, Lord, Lord, uh, proclaiming they did this and they did that, and even miracles and prophecy. They, complained, they, they claimed these great deeds, and they did them in Jesus' name. And yet... They do them with willful or evil, sin-filled, deceitful hearts, even deceiving not just the people they probably ministered to, but themselves. It says in, in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And there were people there, it seems, Jesus talks, who thought they were serving Jesus, who were ministers or, or miracle workers in Jesus' name, prophets in Jesus' name, and yet they fall short. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. Doesn't mean they were his friends and they were on his side at one point in the past and then they are not anymore. He says, I never knew you. And I believe there's a sense that works even with Judas. He never really was his disciple. He never really was his apostle. Uh, Jesus, Jesus definitely knew Judas in a sense, you could say, because he knew who he was, obviously. But he never knew him as a true friend. Seemingly good deeds done with wrong and sinful motives are like the Judas kiss in Luke twenty-two forty-eight, And this is future to our passage today, but not that far future. Matter of hours, not days. It says, but with Jesus said to him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? He came and he kissed Jesus. That's how he showed who Jesus was among the crowd at, at the dark of night so the soldiers could come after him. We are commanded to kiss the Son. Psalm 20, 12, I mean, Psalm 2, verse 11 and 12 says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest you be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Now this doesn't necessarily mean a literal kiss, but a kiss is an honoring thing to somebody. A kiss is an intimate thing and we should be intimate and we should honor Jesus. We should treat him uh, as we are kissing him in the way we worship. And yet we can be like Judas and we can have a kiss that isn't real. Uh, in Matthew 15, Jesus speaks of this. He says, these people draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, meaning praise, but it also could be a kiss with your lips. But their heart is far from me and in vain they worship me teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We should all be making sure we're not like Judas, that we're not outwardly coming to Jesus, 
but inwardly never that close, never really knowing him. Judas was apostle. He was an apostle. Saul was a king in Israel. In Matthew 15, 9, Jesus mentions teachers of so-called doctrine, meaning pastors, evangelists, missionaries, Sunday school teachers, and others teachers, and all can be named among the lost. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? From Matthew 7 indicates they thought themselves that they were doing God's work in his name, meaning for his glory, and yet they were mistaken. They were wrong. So we should make every effort to make our call on election sure. Number four, Judas's fall and the failings of others like him should make us humble about our own works and standing with God. First Corinthians 10, 30, 12 said, I mean 10, 12 says, therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Realize your best works still need, they still require grace from God. As Isaiah 64, 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and all our, and our inequities like the wind have taken us away. The best things we do, the best sermon I might preach, it still has sin connected with it. Uh, we still have false motives when we're doing a kind deed for our, our friend and our brother. Uh, we, 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 we sometimes get really happy, oh, I did this. Uh, about, uh, and we think we did some great thing. And yet we still need the blood of Christ to wash us and to cleanse us from sins, even as believers. Realize none are righteous in and of ourselves. In Romans 3, 10 through 12, Paul writes, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Peter Later, a true leader in the church sins almost as terribly in his denials of Jesus Christ as Judas did in his betrayal. Luke 22, 31-34, and we will cover this passage, uh, but here just in, in mention quickly. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Then he said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you deny me, deny three times that you know him. Uh, Peter denied he knew Christ even with swearing and cursing. I don't know the man, he said, when he saw Jesus in trouble. No, Satan had a role in Peter's denials. It's, he says Satan will sift you as wheat. Note, it is only Jesus' prayers that save, Jesus, that save Peter. He prays that Peter's faith will not fail. And note, Jesus knew Peter's failure before it happened. 
That can be a comfort to us when, when we fall or we fail or we're not perfect in our walk. Jesus knows these things and he prays that our faith will uh, return. This is where fear and trembling aspect of our faith comes in. In Philippians it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a fear and trembling when we think about our weaknesses, you know. Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. Uh, we take special heed uh, lest we fall when we know that we're, we're, we're weak. And in spiritual things, we are all uh, weak. There is confidence, trust when we think about God Jesus, and what he does for us. In Philippians 1.6, the same book that talks about fear and trembling also says, and this is Paul talking about the Philippians, he says, being confident of this very thing that he has begun a good work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He was confident that God would complete that good work in them. Not because he was confident about their own strength, but he was confident about what he saw God doing in them. Um, and I'm confident about those I know here. You've been with me and with Christ for many years. God is working in you. But we can't be confident about ourselves. We're confident in Christ. That's why it says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then it goes on about the battle we have with the devil. Satan could sift Peter as wheat, but if we're strong in the Lord, we are strong even against Satan and the demons. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. We can trust in him. We can depend upon him. And he will give us strength for each day as we, as we have our, our various battles. And we see, you know, we see Peter had his own struggles, but he also later, he wins many, many battles, uh, which is a wonderful thing. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love and kindness. We thank you that you are our strength and that we don't need to be strong in and of ourselves except by having that strength you give us. And we thank you for it. And Father, we thank you for Jesus who died for our sins. And we thank you for his loving kindness in doing these things that he did for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of response.